this edition of Community Matters Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss issues important to managing and governing condominiums, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of CAI's Keystone Chapter. Today's episode is about the always important topic of assessment collections and delinquencies in community associations and what impact, if any, the COVID-19 pandemic has had on homeowner delinquencies in community associations. Joining me today is Sarah Austin Esquire, founder of Austin Law Firm, LLC, located in York, Pennsylvania. Sarah is a graduate of the Marshall White School of Law, College of William and Mary. Sarah served as the 2016-2017 president of the Pennsylvania Bar Association and is the chair of CAI's Central Pennsylvania Regional Council. Before we get into the topic today, I'd like to recognize the sponsor of today's episode of Community Matters. The Falcon Group is a unique, full-service engineering, architectural, and energy consulting firm. Falcon's primary focus is on restoring and evaluating existing facilities ranging from site, building envelope, and energy improvements. Falcon's full-service capabilities focus on your building's specific needs. For more information on the Falcon Group, visit www.thefalcongroup.us. Welcome, Sarah, and please tell our listeners a bit about Austin Law Firm. Thank you, Tony. Um, Austin Law Firm practices in civil litigation. A large portion of what we do is representing homeowner and condo associations. Uh, We represent them normally uh, anytime after turnover from the declarant or developer. We handle compliance. We handle amendments of governing documents. Uh, We handle any um, violation notices and the proceedings. We handle collections, including court proceedings. Um, And we also, of course, are present at board and association meetings as required. So thank you for that, Sarah. So our topic today is, is collections, which is always an important topic in community associations. And I think perhaps never more so than during the ongoing pandemic, which has brought, as you know, historic economic downturn, record unemployment levels. Have you seen, as a result of this, have you seen an increase in delinquent assessment payments during the pandemic? Um, I am gonna answer your question, but first I wanna give a little disclaimer that will apply to anything else I may say today. First of all, anything I say is not specific legal advice. Secondly, um, there may be times that I give a general answer because specific answers can be very fact dependent. Now, in this question that you asked as far as the trend for delinquencies over the last 12 to 18 months, I think that they're probably running a little bit ahead of where they were pre-COVID, but all in all, from what I have seen nationwide and actually with CAI statistics and CAI, of course, tracks it, I don't think it's been as bad as people were expecting it to be. So that's a good thing. I agree. That is a good thing, given the the downturn. Um, Some community associations have a much higher number of delinquencies than others. 
Um, when should an association take action relative to a delinquency to prevent it from becoming, you know, a more serious issue? And this is one of those those questions that's fact dependent, not in the legal sense, but in the procedural and realistic sense. Every association should have a collections policy. Um, if it doesn't, it needs to get one in place. And part of that collections policy should be when it's going to take what actions. Uh, oftentimes the policy will have two or three steps that involve either the association, if it's member managed or the management company, if it's professionally managed, sending some type of communication um, to the delinquent owners. And then once that process has followed out, if the delinquency has not been cured, then the policy will deal with how um, it is to advance. In other words, is the management agent or the association going to take the next step or are they going to refer it to legal from that point? The other thing is that once there is a policy in place, it absolutely needs to be followed for each and every delinquency. You really don't wanna have any differences because that can be a landmine in a legal proceeding. I think that last point is, is really important. A collections policy takes the personal feelings out of it, especially when you have a board member made up of homeowners who are collecting from their neighbors. And so having a policy in place, uh, as you noted, is, is, is extremely important. Um, let's talk about the, the collection process. In Pennsylvania, there's two court levels that offer uh, collections options to community associations, the Magisterial District Justice and the County Common Police Court. Can you explain, let's start with the District Justice first, explain the District Justice process here? Sure. That is probably where most collections are going to start just because it's easier. It is less expensive. Um, it is something that the board may decide to do on its own. Um, and it's also going to be more appropriate based on the amount at issue. And when I say amount at issue, what I'm talking about is the delinquency amount, whether it includes just the assessments, whether it includes late fees, whether it's fines for violations, whatever it is, that's the amount at issue. Right now in Pennsylvania, the jurisdictional limit, meaning the most that can be awarded by a magisterial district justice is $12,000. It's rare when there's going to be an association collecting more than $12,000. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, it does, um, but it's going to be rare. Um, normally they should not be waiting until it gets to that point. So Sarah, th this can get resolved even before it gets to the DJ level, right? Uh, you know, the, the board can be considering sending this collections to the, to the district justice and they hear from the homeowner who wants to either set up a payment plan or work out arrangements. That can still happen, correct? Absolutely. That, that can happen at any point. Uh, it's actually better for the homeowner if it happens prior to the filing of suit, whether with the district justice or in common pleas, because then the homeowner is not having to pay those court costs and probable legal fees on top of what's already due. 
Do you see this happen often? Do do court, do cases, collection cases, typically get resolved before they go, even to the, the the local, the district justice level, or is or is that court filing a a signal to the homeowner that then spurs them into action to to make payment plans or payment options before it progresses even further? What I see, there's a little bit of everything. Um, I don't know if central Pennsylvania is representative of the rest of the country or even the rest of the state, but at least what I see when there are delinquencies, the board or the management agent sends out communications. If the people aren't gonna pay, they aren't gonna pay. For whatever the reason, they're just not paying. Um, the second or third or fourth communication isn't going to do it. When they get a letter from an attorney, now some of them are going to pay. They're going to say, all right, this is serious. But there are still going to be a lot of them who just aren't going to pay. And then that's going to require suit to be filed. Again, whether it's with the district justice or in common pleas. Once they get served with that suit, now they sit up a little more and they say, uh-oh, now there's a legal proceeding. And then you're going to get some more who are going to try and work things out. But of course, now they've got to pay the court costs and there's some legal fees. There's still some who aren't going to do anything. So then you have to follow through with that court process. So let's, uh, let's assume we filed a, a uh, case in the, in the local district justice court um, and we get a, we get a judgment an order, you know, fr from the judge. What's your advice um, on collecting once the judgment has been made? Well, the first thing to remember is that once you get a judgment, and oftentimes they are what are called default judgments, meaning that there's no hearing because the defendant doesn't appear or doesn't contact the DJ's office and say they want to defend. So the DJ's office just enters the judgment in favor of the association. Even when there is a hearing, more often than not, judgment still gets entered in favor of the association because, gee, I can't pay you, or, oh, I didn't want to, or I forgot, are not valid legal reasons to not pay. So more usually the association is gonna get a judgment, uh, and then you have to let it sit for 30 days. It's a money judgment. So you have to wait the time where the defendant or defendants have to appeal that to common pleas. Um, so really the best thing is just to tickle it out for 30 days and make sure there's no appeal during that time period. Again, the person may be trying to get it settled um, or it may just be up to the association at that point to try and figure out what they wanna do if there is no appeal. So when there's a judgment, the homeowner appeals, uh, let me back up a second. When there's a judgment from the magisterial district justice, the homeowner appeals to the common police court? Yes, they can. As opposed to appealing to the magisterial district court? Correct. The, the magisterial district justice is um, what's called a court not of record. Um, it's basically small claims court because of the jurisdictional limit. So appeals from the DJs go to common pleas. Again, if these collection actions, though, start in common pleas, um, then it's just um, a little bit later in the process, if you will, and the homeowners still have all of their normal rights of appeal. It just hasn't started at that lower district justice level. So let's talk a little bit more about the Court of Common Pleas. You mentioned the 
the $12,000 limit at the magisterial district justice level, other than the financial, uh, the amount of money involved, what are there other reasons why um, a collections case would originate in the Court of Common Pleas as opposed to the DJ level? The most common is if you cannot get the complaint served on the defendant, on the, on the owner. Um, so in other words, at the district justice, normally you're going to serve, you're going to have the complaint served by certified mail. You can also have it served in person by constable. Um, but if for whatever reason, the certified mail doesn't get claimed um, and the person or people to be served cannot be found. For example, it's a rental or um, they're just not there when the constable goes back and forth or anything like that. If you can't get service, maybe you find out again, it's a rental and they live out of state or they're out of town or something. You need to serve by publication. You can't do that from the district justice. So you need to file in common pleas and then ask the court to let you serve by publication. It's a little more complicated, but again, as part of the due process, you have to serve the defendant in order that you can eventually get a judgment. So what's different then in, in the, you know, once you file in the court of common pleas, what's different about that process other than um, the filing? It's more complicated or more procedural in the sense that there can be discovery there's a lot more that can delay things depending on what the owners want to do um, or depending on what's necessary to the case. If there's something based on the facts that make it not a normal case, um, then there might be more to be done procedurally. Again, this is one of those things that every single fact makes a difference. So while some things are easy and clean cut, some aren't. And that might be a reason to start in common pleas anyway. So again, let's assume there's a judgment in the court of common pleas. How then do we proceed with collecting on that judgment? Okay. Um, so again, we've gone through the whole process. We get the judgment, just like at the district justice level, we have to wait 30 days for the appeal period to make sure that the owner owners um, are not going to appeal the judgment, that it's what's called a final unappealable judgment. Once you have that, then you have to decide if you want to execute on it or not. And you may not. There might be reasons not to at that point. And we'll talk about those in a second. But again, that has to be either part of the collections policy or certainly something that's discussed with each case. Uh, some of the options include a personal property execution, that means um, very generally that the association has the sheriff go in and make a list of all of the personal property, furniture, clothing, stuff, TVs, computers, all of that. Um, it's set for a sale date. And if it's not stopped or if the money is not paid, um, then normally the association will become the proud owner of all of that stuff. And then the association has to resell the stuff to get its money back. It's a difficult thing to do because, of course, it's your neighbor. Uh, normally, an association only has to do that once, and then everybody takes notice, and it normally will help the collection process after that. How often does something like that happen? How often does it get that far? There are a lot of judgments. 
um, unfortunately. You know, if you get the diehards who just aren't going to pay or can't pay, um, then whether you have a judgment against them or not isn't going to matter. And again, as part of the things we're going to talk about or part of the things that need to be discussed as to what to do, what action to take after a judgment, you have to know where your place is in line. Your place meaning the association. And that means how much is the property worth? What are the liens or judgments ahead of you? Normally there's gonna be at least one mortgage, um, which is gonna be what the people got when they bought the property. There might be unpaid taxes that are liened ahead of you. There might be unpaid municipal utilities, water, sewer, things like that. There might be other judgment liens. Um, so all of those things make a difference on whether you do anything or not. Of course, the personal property execution doesn't, that's better because all of those other liens don't interfere. So oftentimes that's the first thing that may happen and may get the people to sit up and take notice. So you mentioned, um you know, the, the origination of these cases because people either can't pay, which there are legitimate reasons, unemployment, uh, maybe healthcare uh, expenses, things like that, versus people who won't pay. What are some of the reasons why someone just won't pay as opposed to can't pay? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know that I have the answer to that. I don't know that Anyone has the answer. Um, you know, when you move into a planned community, you're going to have to pay assessments. They may go up over time. Occasionally they may go down, but you're going to have to pay assessments. And you know that going in, and that's just one of those things. So I think that occasionally people don't pay when they think they're not getting their money's worth. I'm not really sure. Um, there were issues and probably are still issues now um, since the advent of COVID when amenities closed and the assessment fees did not go down. And that's because expenses didn't go down. Just because a clubhouse was closed did not translate into a decrease in expenses for the association. They still had to keep it sanitized. They still had to keep it um, secure. They still had to keep it cleaned periodically. They still had to keep it insured. So there really wasn't a whole lot of a decrease in expense that could be in any way reflected in a decrease in assessments. And that's just one example. Same thing for pools. Um, just because it's not open to the members doesn't mean there's no expense. You still have a lot of the same expenses. And even if you didn't have expenses for those, you still had expenses perhaps more for mowing or landscaping or snow removal or any of the other things that the whole budget goes for. So I think that some of the people who refuse to pay just think they're not getting their money's worth however they define it. Those are all good points. Um, Sarah, are there exceptions to the collection process that you've outlined? And if there are exceptions, when would they come into play? There are some exceptions. Um, just very briefly, two of the other things um, that we didn't talk about, I just wanna mention when you have a judgment in common pleas, 
You can also garnish bank accounts. Again, there's some exceptions to what you can and can't garnish. And you can also do a real property execution. Most people think of that as a foreclosure. Um, so are there exceptions? When you're looking at foreclosure, again, that's kind of a strategy thing. That's something that really ought to be discussed with an attorney to talk about the association's position. In other words, is there a senior mortgage? If so, is it being paid? If it's not being paid, if that senior mortgage is foreclosing, then you're at a point where you say, stop, do not pass go, do not collect. We need to find out what's going on with that because of the effect of that senior mortgage on the association's new judgment. Same thing as far as unpaid taxes. Um, there might be a tax sale coming up. So you really need to find out what else is going on there. And that's, again, just because of the legalities of how those senior liens work vis-a-vis -vis the association's lien. The most common exception that we find is bankruptcy. Um, even if a person does nothing the whole time, they're not paying or they can't pay and they won't enter into any kind of payment arrangement or they can't keep up with the payment arrangement for whatever reason, association gets a judgment. It's ready to either do a personal property execution or it's garnishing bank accounts or maybe it's foreclosing on the unit itself and then the person files for bankruptcy. And then you get a whole nother set of rules that come in even if the association has handled it by itself, or if the management company has been doing it up to that point, once there's a bankruptcy, you really need to get an attorney involved because there's just too much that can, um, that can hurt the interest of the association in trying to collect what's due. Well, sir, I appreciate this. Uh, this has been very good information. Any closing thoughts for our listeners on this topic? You know, I think the one thing that I've learned over the years is that for the most part, owners in planned communities really do like their communities. They appreciate what is being done for them, what they have, what they bought into. They understand they have to pay. And when they get behind, they want to try and make it right. I think sometimes they don't at the start because they're embarrassed at having fallen behind. But if the association will work with them, I think that's going to solve a lot of the problems. But there will be times that the association has to act. Well, Sarah, thank you for joining me today for this episode of Community Matters Podcast. For more information on the Austin Law Firm, please visit their website at www.austinlawllc.com. And once again, thank you to our sponsor today, the Falcon Group. Please visit them online for more information at www.thefalcongroup.us. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, homeowners association, or cooperative, please visit the CAI Keystone Chapter website at www.cai-padelval.org. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Community Matters Podcast.